I crossed the street, didn't look, so I was hit by a taxi. I fell over in the street. A couple of days later, I came to talk with a student that I didn't really know, but he turned out to be an believer. The way he showed me interest gave me the sense that he's probably my first friend in life. He was a believer, but instead of trying to get me to his church meetings, he went with me to the parties I normally went to. And that made a big difference on me because I saw in him that Christian faith could live six, seven days a week, not only in the church. Welcome to the Lausanne Movement Podcast, where we have a passion to accelerate global mission together. I am your host, Jason Watson, and over the next few weeks, we're going to be sharing some interviews that we conducted at our Lausanne 2023 Africa Gathering. Today, I have the pleasure to introduce you to Ola Magnus Olesfrit, who is sharing insights into whole life mentorship. Ola Magnus is from Norway and is the chair of the Wild Gen Mentoring Team for the Lausanne Movement and leader of the NGO Barnabas Focus. With over 40 years of experience with the Navigators, he is dedicated to empowering younger leaders through whole life mentorship. If you're interested in growing as a disciple or wondering how you can begin to be more effective in discipling and mentoring others, then this episode is for you. Ola Magnus shares decades worth of insights from thinking about and mentoring others. And so without any further ado, let's jump into our podcast interview with Ola Magnus. Ola Magnus, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Today, we're going to be unpacking whole life mentorship, and we're going to be talking about discipleship in quite a lot of detail. But I thought, seeing that we have you in person, that it would be a great opportunity to hear a bit of your backstory. And um, you grew up in Norway. Could you unpack for us a bit of your story, a bit of your childhood, how you came to Christ? Even, even it would be helpful if you could frame for us what the religious landscape looks like in Norway. As you know, I'm happily married. We have three uh, adult sons and 13 grandchildren. My wife and I, we just celebrated 50 years anniversary. We live outside Oslo. Congratulations. So oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I grew up in the countryside in Norway, born in 47, just after Second World War. And one of my first memories from growing up was that we were poor people. I saw my parents didn't have food, and what they had, they gave to us. And as I grew up, uh, I was o- often teased. I didn't have any friends. So I, I think my, my childhood was safe at home. My parents were loving parents, did whatever they could. But my sense of having value was very, very low. Then I moved to Oslo to study. And then I brought with me that kind of s- that sense of inferiority, so I was a very diligent student. I studied veterinary medicine, and I had good grades. That was partly because I didn't have any friends. So what else should I do than be reading? I succeeded in that. After two and a half years, we were out to celebrate an exam. We got drunk. We were thrown out of the restaurant. Uh, and there was some struggle out in the street. And I thought, let me leave this place. I crossed the street didn't look, so I was hit by a taxi as I crossed the street. Not not hard, <clears throat> but at least I, I fell over in the street. And then I suddenly sobered up and thought, what was, was happening? And just a couple of days later, I came to talk with a student that I didn't really know, 
but he turned out to be an believer. The way he <coughs> showed me interest gave me the sense that he's probably my first friend in life. Wow. He was a believer, but he was a fairly young believer, and he didn't in any way press anything on me. And I had some Christian background. My parents went to church, but it kind of died on me during my teenage years. But instead of trying to get me to his church meetings, he went with me to the parties I normally went to. And that made a big difference on me because I saw in him that Christian faith could live six, seven days a week, not only in the church building. That was kind of a new idea to me because I grew up with a very isolated, very pietistic Christianity. So after some time, he asked whether we could start reading the Gospel of John together. I turned it down, but after some time, probably not to disappoint him, I said, yes, let's do it. So just he and I were sitting in the canteen in the university or on my little room back there. And uh, then I saw something already in chapter 1 of, of the Gospel of John where Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. That was a new thought to me. I knew Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, but when he preferred to be called the Son of Man, then I was kind of drawn to him because then I understood that Jesus, the Son of Man, he knew life. He had lived the life I tried to figure out. He had had his hard times. He had had times when he had been mocked in very different ways than I, but there it created some identification. So I think his friendship, the reading of the Gospel of John, and meeting some of his friends drew me to Christ. Not so much because I had a deep sense of guilt, but his friendship, the friendship with the, my friend and also Jesus appealing to me as a friend made a big, big difference. And it did something with my deep shame. It gave me some value. So that's how I came to Christ. But then we seamlessly moved from what we could call evangelism into follow-up and equipping. We started to pray together, the guy and I. We, we kept reading the Bible. We started to witness to old friends. And I think from that very day, when I, I was 22 then, I think from that very experience, it's deep in my spine that Bible lives in relationships when it's about coming to Christ but also growing in Christ. So I think this is the deepest value in me. The Bible is alive. It leads me to Christ and it also helps me to grow in Christ. That's so beautiful. I love how Christian community yeah. was the light that drew you to Jesus and how the love of that community drew you to the love yeah. of Christ. And I think that that's such a challenge for, for so many of us who have been believers for a long time to step into that calling of Christ to, to be love to our neighbors. We're not just called to love God, we're called to love others yep. as ourselves. And yeah. Yeah. Could you share with us how you went from that space as a 22-year-old to feeling called to ministry? Yeah. So then I was halfway in my veterinary studies, so I finished my studies. And uh, then I worked four years as a veterinarian. The people who helped me to find Christ, or I would rather say be found by Christ, <laughs> uh, was through the navigators. 
And I was involved with the navigating ministry during my study days. And then also as I uh, worked as a vet. And then we were asked to move to Bergen on the West Coast to develop a student ministry there. So then we moved there. And I was full-time with the navigators for all these years. How, and how many years? With <laughs> well, I worked with the navigators for 50 years. Wow. So I was pensioned when I turned 50. And then I established a little, my little NGO that I called Barnabas Focus. Okay. Because I was so inspired by Barnabas in the Book mm -hmm. of Acts. And can you just share with us briefly what the Barnabas Focus is all about? I would say the Barnabas Focus is about Barnabas. <laughs> I mean, we meet him first time in Acts 4. He was the son of encouragement. I deeply want to come alongside people and be an encouragement. Then we meet him again in Acts 9, where he uh, embraces Saul with his scary CV and in, includes him in community while the others want to shut him out. So this bridge-building capacity <clears throat> that... Barnabas had to let new people in, and I want to be this bridge, helping people to become part of the Christian community, but also to have the freedom to move in and out, as it says about Paul. And then Acts 11 again, when uh, the revival breaks out in, uh, in Antioch, they sent him, sent Barnabas. I'm happy they sent him. Uh, and it says that's one of the most beautiful sentences in the Bible to me. When he saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them. It was new. People were sitting down in Jerusalem being skeptical, but he encouraged them. So to look for the signs of grace in people's lives, in situations that are hard, are there some signs of grace? I want to be a person looking for signs of grace. And then this last in chapter 15, we have this sad story when Paul and Barnabas disagrees over Mark John, and Barnabas doesn't give in. He says, I want to give this young man a second chance, and he did. So the relationship, or the partnership at least, between Barnabas and, and Paul, they departed. But then I almost get tears in my eyes when I read 2 Timothy 4, when Paul sits there alone, Demas has left him and all the others, and he says, please bring Mark with you because so he is so helpful for me in the ministry. And just this idea of giving people a second chance to walk with people through even through difficult phases of life, not giving up on people. Ah, I want to be that kind of person. Mm, that's such a beautiful vision. I so appreciate you seeking to live that vision out as an example to, to all of us. I think one of the things that really inspires me about your story is the story of faithfulness. Mm -hmm. Decades of serving Christ faithfully, decades of loving your wife faithfully. And we don't, we don't see that kind of continuation often anymore. As a younger generation, are, are very quick to, to just give up. Yeah. And I, I would love to hear from you. As a 23-year-old who started out in ministry, yeah. what vision did you have for your life back then in terms of, of ministry as you began your journey with the Navigators? And, and how has that been different in both maybe a good way or bad way? And how have you seen God direct your path through all those years? Well, I think simply as I shared this basic idea, Scripture in Relationships, I think that's kind of been a guiding thought for me, whether that's a vision 
or not. I don't know what to call it, but I think it has always guided me. Wherever I have a chance to open the Bible with people, being a, a non-believer or a seeker or being someone, whether it's a convert in Latvia or it is a pastor in Singapore, I do exactly the same. I deeply believe in coming alongside people, listening, being with them, being in the scriptures together, share life. That's kind of my very simple approach. It's not so well formulated, maybe, but it's life on life. It's journeying together. And that has taken different forms over the years, of course. I used to be the national director for the Navigators in Norway for some years. I was on the leadership team of Navigators in Europe. But then, of course, all the time back to the late 70s, I had been deeply served by the Lausanne movement. We had Ramasatala coming to Norway, and I heard him preaching on Lausanne gatherings in Norway. And I somehow was marinated, I would say, in the values of the Lausanne movement. Prayer, unity, scripture, just to be there. How can we co-labor? How can we do things better together? So that's the atmosphere I grew up in. I was in the Young Leaders Gathering in 2006 as a group leader in Malaysia. The last day, I felt a bit unsure how, how had I done, and I st stood over in the corner. Up to me came a man I'd only seen on the platform, Doug Birdstone, then the CEO of Lausanne. And the way he approached me, the way he asked me questions, brought me back to my good memories of the friend in my study days, someone seeing me insecure, showing interest. And then after some time, Doug asked me, would I consider serving in Cape Town? So then I was responsible for the training of the group leaders. And that was a great experience. And through that, I got to know the movement better. And then when the YL the Young Leads Gathering in Jakarta 2016 was planned. Michael O asked me whether I could, could consider serving as a senior coordinator. So I was invited to be on Sarah Royal's team, but I also was invited to, on this interesting thing to, as Michael O bluntly said, please protect the, the team, the Young Leaders team from us as seniors help them to do their planning, but then please be the link between the senior leadership and the um, team of young leaders. And I did that. And that was a very enriching experience to work both with the senior leadership of Lausanne, but also with the team. But then just before we had Jakarta, Michael Owa invited five of us, and I was one of them. Maya was another one to start thinking about what we then ended up calling young leaders generation that what happened in Jakarta shouldn't just be an event, it should be the start of a process. So since then, I've been on the team of Nanaya. I've been responsible for the mentoring. I have about 200 uh, mentors in different parts of the world, and we have connected young leaders with mentors as they need it. And I'm still uh, sharing that team of seven great friends who try to encourage whole life mentoring mm. throughout Lausanne. So another thing that you've been involved in has been this whole L4 journey that yeah. Luzon has gone on over the past few years. Yeah. 
And out of that whole process, there's been this listening report where we've been listening to various regions. And one of the things that has been highlighted in every region has been the need for intentional discipleship, which is deeply connected to whole life mentorship. Why would you say that discipleship and mentorship is a need that we need to be paying attention to and be responding to? As you said, when we did the listening process, how to win the younger generation came up many places, but discipleship was another one that came up all the time. And I mean, the, the easiest answer to it and the deepest answer is that's what Jesus asked us to do, to go to make disciples. And interestingly enough, he asked us to go make disciples and he said, I will build my church. And I think often we get this the other way around. We are so eager to plant churches, build churches, and we think disciples just happen. Disciples, they don't just happen. They grow up in an environment, and we need to encourage them and help them to grow into discipleship. So we are just trying to do what Jesus asked us to do. And I think when we think about discipleship, we live in a time, I would say, that is overloaded with activities. We have overloaded activities, but if it's possible to have an underload, I don't know, <laughs> of relationships. We have activities, but we are weak on relationships. And therefore, I love John 15, the first 16 verses, as a way of describing what is a disciple. It is this beautiful picture of Jesus says, I'm the wine, you are the branches. And I think about this passage with three key words. I think about it as identity, intimacy, and influence. Identity, because Jesus says so clearly what a disciple is in his identity. Clean because of the blood of Jesus, a friend, a branch on the tree, a part of a community. He defines us in terms of relationship, not in terms of activities. I am a friend. I am clean. I belong. And then he goes on to describe how we can keep this identity as an intimacy. Then he talks about abiding in the scriptures, abiding in the love, be in prayer, abide in community, loving one another, being obedient. So he defines how we can live out this identity through intimacy. And then he moves on to say, then you bear fruit, much fruit, fruit that will last. And I think this is very important when you think about mentoring, think about discipleship. It's a relational thing that leads to good activities and can lead to good programs. But we are normally, I would say, overloaded with programs and how-tos and weak on the basic ideas of relationship with Christ and with one another. Mm. So that's kind of the, the, the basis, I would say, for the whole idea about mentoring. You like to refer to mentoring as whole life mentorship. Could you unpack that phrase for us? Because I think there's, there's something beautiful there. And I would like to ask if you distinguish between whole life mentorship and discipleship. I think the life of a disciple is lived in different spheres, so to say. We need the celebration when we gather many. It's also very helpful for the life of a disciple to live in a smaller community, a mm. cell or whatever you call it. But then I would say the third aspect 
of discipleship is the one-on-one -on -one relationships. So I would say that mentoring is part of the whole idea of communities that a disciple needs to live in. The celebration, the, the many, the cell, the few, and then this one-on-one. -on -one. So I would say mentoring is part of discipleship and the whole process of making disciples. But then when we talk about whole life mentoring, I think in Lozano we are talking about mentoring, you could say two different aspects of it. Some young leaders would say, I need help with my church plant. Then it's great to have a mentor who knows something about church planting. Then we try to find, try to help this young leader to find someone who is good on church planting. Come help me with my church plant. And that's, but that's not whole life mentoring. What we talk, think about is whole life mentoring is exactly whole life. And I think the idea from Psalm 142, when David is scared to death in the cave, Saul is after him, and he says, who cares for my soul? Who cares for my soul? Who cares about me? Not my warm, not my, but me. And then God sends Jonathan to him. And it, I love what says about that relationship, uh, how Jonathan was able to strengthen his trust and faith in God. So when we are talking about whole life mentoring, it's about my inner life, it's about my family life, it's about my business life, it's about how do I take care of my physical life, it's about my intellectual development, just the whole person. And therefore I think that it's the sense of who cares for my soul. So I, we would very much help those who say, who helps, can help me with my church plant, but primarily our whole life mentoring is about who cares for my soul. And that way we have done whatever we can to develop ways of serving people whole life so i am a young leader coming to you and i say ola magnus i am looking for a mentor i might have a specific ministry that i'm focusing in on but i say i'm open to to whole life mentorship what steps would you take well there is one passage i would like to mention that has guided my way of thinking about mentoring it's luke 24 the story about the the two confused disciples on their way back to emmaus jesus has risen they are moving back and it says they were worried they were going and they were discussing deeply and then it be says beautifully then jesus came up and started to walk with them and it would have been very tempting, I would say, for him who not only knew the answer to their questions, but he was the answer to their question. He was the reason one. But instead, he asked a question. He said, what are you talking so eagerly about? And then they started to share. And then he said, asked the follow-up question. So I think the first aspect of a mentoring, whole life mentoring relationship is to ask questions, not to have all the answers, but to ask questions, come alongside, be available, walk, journey together. But then the second thing Jesus did, he opened the scriptures with them, and he rebuked them, in a way, for being so slow to believe the scriptures. But afterwards, they, they said, didn't our hearts burn in, burn in us when he opened the scriptures with us? And later in the chapter, he says, he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. So the second element of a mentoring relation, whole life mentoring relationship 
is the place of the scriptures because the scriptures is guiding us. And then the third element of it was after he broke bread with them, he joined them in their home, and then they recognized him. And then they were running back, joined the rest of the disciples. Jesus was with them. He sent them out. So to me, a mentoring relationship, whether it's a young believer, as I said, in Latvia or a pastor in Singapore, I always think about these three elements in a conversation. I want to come alongside, talk, update what, what happens in your life. Since last time we talked, what are some good things? What are some challenging things you've experienced? And that will, of course, set the agenda for the rest of the conversation. But I'm with that person in that person's life. And I also share from my life. Then the second element, we will always spend some time in the scriptures. Whether it be that I share something I read since last time, or he will share something, or we read the passage together or different ways of working with the scriptures, but always some scriptures. And then the third element is to pass it on. Whole life mentoring is always three-generational discipleship. It's not only you and me. So, I mean, when you come to me, as you suggested, we would spend some time for us to get to know one another, and then I would spend time to get to know you. You would be interested in knowing who I am. We would spend some time in the scriptures. But... Quite soon, I would like us to start thinking about how do you pass this on. You may be a businessman, then you have some non-Christian colleagues, and I would ask, how can I pray with you for your Christian colleagues? Give me the names of two people. I would love to be with you, serve with you, pray for your friends. Or you are a Bible study group leader or have a ministry somewhere. I would try to serve you, equip you in that so it's a third-generation disciple-making because we are serving a three-generation God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All these three things, three generations. In your experience of discipling others, I would be curious to hear from you which areas of the lives of the people you've discipled seem to lack the most in terms of their own growth and discipleship. So... As you've been walking along people throughout these years, which area do we tend to get it wrong as evangelicals that people lack the most, that need, they need the most discipleship in and growth in? Well, if you go back to John 15 again, mm-hmm. I think the identity thing is the most vulnerable area. And I think especially young people today, their identity is so much been given from media, from social media, the peer pressure, looking nice, being well-trained, sharp, and all these aspects. So I think, but even me, 76 years old, I need help in staying in my true identity, being a friend, being a child, being a branch, (laughs) belong, belong, belong. And I think if we don't help people in any phase of life in this deep identity, We build on a very shallow basis and things go wrong. And that's also why it's so important to spend time in the scriptures together because that's the word of life. And I find it so important. I'm not here to teach you. I'm here that we can open the scriptures together so that the Holy Spirit can set an agenda as we are talking. As I said, when I meet you after some months since last time, I'm eager to see 
what has happened in your life, good and bad things, but also when we're in the scriptures together, the Holy Spirit is able to remind you and me of things that are important. That sends the real agenda because the Holy Spirit is able to take chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, for example, lift out something that the Lord speaks to you about and me about, and we can talk about that, share life experiences, and pray over it so that our lives are rooted in the scriptures. So build identity and being rooted in the scriptures would probably be the two things I would say that's a basis. And out of that can grow all kinds of things. Discipleship is something that we all know is important. We all know we should be doing it. We all know that we should be, be discipled ourselves. What do you think holds people back from discipling and mentoring others? I think there may be different things, but I think wrong understanding of what it is is probably the number one reason. So many think that then I need to have all the answers that I may be asked. Some would say, I don't understand the, the youth culture. Who am I to be able to do anything good for that person in his or her 20s? And therefore, I think that some of the basic things I've learned about key attitudes is probably the thing we need to work on to see more mentors. And I think the first thing I would mention is from 1 Corinthians 4. Paul writes to Timothy, his good friend, his younger friend, and he says, you may have a thousand teachers, but you only one father. And I think mentoring is not about teaching primarily. It's about a relationship again. And in 1 Thessalonians 2, he talks about how he was like a father and a mother to them. So a good mentoring relationships is relational. That's the first thing. The second thing that also holds some people back, I think it's about mutuality. It is not me trying to pour something into you. And that's it, kind of a one-way traffic. A good mentoring relationships is about mutuality. You may learn something from me, but I'm learning a lot from you. And that also asks for vulnerability. I meet so many mentors who don't know how to open up their own lives. And then younger leaders or younger people are asked for authenticity. And if I'm not sharing something of my own life, it doesn't work. And I often heard people I'm coming alongside saying that one of the, probably the greatest impact you've had is when you are sharing from your own struggles. How God has been with you in that situation, what has helped you in this situation. And then the mentoring relationship becomes mutually edifying. I'm so happy each time I hear this person of 60s, in their 60s or even 70s, and share how their own spiritual growth has been inspired and furthered because they mentor this person in their 20s or 30s. And some of them would say, well, when I read the scripture with, with her, I see something I had never seen before because she in her 30s or 20s or even late teens sees something with other glasses, other backgrounds, and I learn from it. And a good mentoring relationship would have that mutuality in it. Of course, if you come to me and ask me to be your mentor, you're the focus person. It's not me who is the focus, but this mutuality 
I love what Paul says in Romans 1. He says that you and I may mutually be encouraged by each other's faith. I love that. He writes to people he has never met. He says, if I come to you, we will grow together by the faith we have together. So I think if we are able to kind of give these basic ideas about what whole life mentoring is, then it's easier to move into it. And when I have seminars on this in churches in different places and countries, people are often relieved <laughs> when they hear it's not about me having answers. And I think this flip side of this, the greatest mistakes I've done as a mentor is when I'm fallen into the role of being the teacher <laughs> and not being perceived as a friend. It's when I've been too eager to give advice. Maybe I could say something that could be a good advice, but I should rather help you to, to find your own answers, to guide you in the scriptures to see. And you have so many resources. I want these resources that are in you already to be released. So, I mean, if I'm with you in this process of trying to help you find your own answers, then it's, it has a chance to last and to grow. And I think the last thing I probably learned as not a mistake may, maybe, but is lack of prayer. When we read the letters of Paul, how much it is about prayer, how he prayed for them. I, I mean, every letter. And, and so I think my key impact I can have for those I mentor is to be faithful in prayer. And when we meet after a month again, I will connect to what you talked about last time. Since last time, I've been praying for this because you, you, you shared it as a prayer request. How is it going? How can I continue to pray for you? So that we live in this process together, journey together. This whole task of whole life mentorship and discipleship, it requires a lot of you as a disciple maker or, or a mentor it requires you to give of yourself, like you've been encouraging us to do, to be vulnerable, mm -hmm. to, to offer up your life, to give up your time, to serve sacrificially. And I would imagine that many people might have gone down that path before. And through that journey of building relationship, perhaps they've been hurt in the process by the people that they are mentoring. What would you say to someone who has experienced that kind of hurt. They've been vulnerable, they've given up their life, yeah. and it's ended in a way that they didn't intend for it to end. Yeah. I've been there. So, I, I so have I, that's why I'm asking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, back to, to, to Timothy 4 again. Paul is sitting there. He says, demons left me for the love for the world. Others left me. I think we need to be realistic. Life is hard. And therefore, Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart before anything else, because it's a wellspring of life. I think the key aspect of the mentoring relationship is not to learn skills, but it's about the heart relationship. Uh, mentoring is a matter of the heart. As you say, I share my heart, but also to try to encourage the other person to have a strengthened heart, be able to stand against temptations and the hardships of life. But sometimes life goes wrong. So number one, I have to be realistic. 
And I, I think the second thought is that he or she is a child of God. It's not my child. It's not my responsibility. I can do whatever I can. I can try to serve. I can be available. But at the end of the day, it's that person and God. But I think I, when, when something goes wrong in a mentoring relationship, I would also see this as a learning possibility. And I think a key aspect of lasting mentoring relationships would always be to evaluate regularly. Even with some of those I've come alongside for 20, 30 years, we would maybe once a year say stop and say, how is this going? Too much Bible or too little Bible or whatever. Can we adjust what we are doing together? And I think one of the reasons why some mentoring relationships die out is because we are not evaluating it. We are not learning underway how can we do this better together. And it's also normal that mentoring relationships, some may last, as I said, I had some for 30 years, but it can also be natural that a mentoring relationship lasts for a year. I can come in as an important alongsider for a certain period, and then after one year, I should be open and say, is this helpful? Should we continue? And then I should be open when this person say, yeah, well, this has been good, but I think I've, I've got something from you, but maybe there is, could be another person who could serve me better, or I'm moving or whatever. And then we terminate it in a good way. I think some of the reasons why mentoring relationships just die is that we, as I say, we don't evaluate. We don't end them well. It just kind of smolders and we get insecure then it's longer and longer since, since we talk with one another and they just die. And then folks are disappointed. And I also think it's, a, it's important the way they start. I mean, there are kind of two ways a mentoring relationship can start. One is when the person comes up to me and asks. Then I would always say, thank you for asking. I would just like some time to think about it. I, I want to pray about it because I think a key aspect of establishing mentoring relationship is it's a spiritual thing in john 17 when jesus prays for his disciples he says you gave them to me they were given when he selected the 12 he spent the night in prayer he turned to a dead girl woke her up it seems to be prayer or a sentence or two when he should choose the 12 through whom the world should be changed he spent a night in prayer. And I always pray over, is this something I should say yes to? And if I feel like that, then I say yes. And then I would say, let's try a couple of times to see how it works. Be honest, be open and see, do we find one another? Does this seem to function? And then after two or three times, if we see this works well, let's go for it. But it could also be that I see someone the Lord gives me a heart for. Let me give an example. I, many years ago, uh, our oldest son had a very rough time in his early teens. He was mocked as I was, and I felt so sad for him. And I remember he came home one day from school. He said, if I'm going to be teased for being a believer like this, I don't know whether I can take it. And then we got a youth leader in our church, and he befriended our son. They were playing soccer and uh, all kinds of things. 
And during a church coffee, we were, uh, my wife and I was ending up at the same table. So I approached this young man. I didn't know him at all. And I said, I just want to thank you for the way you, you help our young son. And he said, well, uh, we just play soccer and we read the Bible. It's, it's not so much. But I said to, uh, to us and to his son, it's a world. You help him even to survive with his faith. And then I said, aren't you getting tired? You are doing so much for so many people. And then he was 18 years old. And he said, oh, yeah, I'm tired. And I have many questions. But, but then I said, I, I, we have to leave now. But would you like to come over and eat with us one evening? And we could continue to talk about this. And he kind of got shocked. And he said, is that possible? Do you have time for that? And he said, of course. Please come over. And he has kept coming over. And I have kept coming over to him. That's 38 years ago. Wow. It's beautiful. No, he is my senior pastor. We keep meeting. Just as when he was 18 years old. We wrote a book together on the discipleship and whole life mentoring. And there he writes that what made an impression on him was that I just showed interest in him. How is it going? Aren't you getting tired? Would you like to talk? So the first thing is he was interested in me. Second thing, normally the Bible came on the table when we meet. So I think we sometimes make this too complicated. When people come up to us, let's pray over it and be available if the Lord feels, but then show interest. There are so many youth leaders, young business people who struggle with life, overload all kinds of things. Let's just be there. How are you doing? That's often enough to establish a relationship or get a relationship started. Well, Ola Magnus, this has been such a rich time. And I'm sure that those who are listening almost feel like they are in a mentoring session <laughs> with you. <laughs> You've unpacked so much for us. We're going to have to bring our time together on this podcast interview to a close. But before we do, how can people find you? How can people find out more about what you're doing? Maybe they want to reach out. You've mentioned a book. Where can people find resources? Well, in the Lausanne Wild Gen, this is one of our areas. Lausanne.org. <laughs> uh, there you find Wild Gen, Young Elites Generation. But of course, if you like my email or whatever, that's of course easy. That's my name, <laughs> ole.magnus.olafsen at gmail.com. That's the simplest way. But through Dosan, it's easy to find me. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. We truly appreciate the insights yeah. that you've shared with us on whole life discipleship and mentorship. Yeah. May I just share one verse to end Please with? Please do. Because I, I'm amazed by what says about David in Psalm 78, 72, where it says, David shepherded them with the integrity of heart and with skillful hands he led them. And this, in a way, kind of summarizes it. It's about serving God in any phase of life. It's about integrity of heart. But it's also about skillfulness of hands. We know, need to know what we are doing and how to do it. And I think for me, whole life mentoring is about both of these two aspects. It's about to help one another to live in life of integrity, but also to equip and to serve, to develop, so that we can serve in the harvest field. And that's why we say in Lausanne, we are eager to connect influencers and ideas for global mission across generations so that the world may know Christ.
is a cross generation. That's my heart to see this generational thing move on. With those beautiful words, we're going to bring this conversation to a close. Thank you so much for your time. Blessings to you. Thanks for asking. Well, I hope that you enjoyed today's interview on the Lausanne Movement podcast. If you found today's interview helpful, won't you take a moment to rate and review our podcast? And don't forget to share it with a friend. Next week, we'll be back with another in-person interview from the Lausanne 2023 Africa Gathering. Until next week, cheers. Cheers.